Folks, take it from me, NBA legend Bill Walton. Like all great experiments in American history, the 3 and D Love podcast will revolutionize your life. Welcome to the 3 and D Love NBA podcast. Thanks for joining us, and I'm your host, Michael Eaney. We're joined, as always, by the brother, Ryan Eaney, and, of course, our namesake, the venerable D-Love, Derek Lovegren. Here we go. Thank you, Michael. All right, gentlemen, the 2021-22 NBA season is off and running. Here we go. <laughs> and while six days of play doesn't give us a big sample size to draw conclusions... <laughs> That won't stop us from making assumptions, overgeneralizing, and expressing our regrets, the which we'll get back. to a little later. <laughs> so for a little recap, opening night, Giannis and the Bucks picked up where they left off last season and beat the Nets handily. The Lakers picked up where they left off in the preseason and lost their home opener to the Warriors. I think they picked up where they left off in the playoffs. That too. Yes, the Nets and Lakers do not look sharp out of the gate. And starting with the Lakers, uh, Westbrook looks a little lost on the court so far. And the old guys are already causing some more friction. More friction than support. Um, (laughs) Kind of like a cross strap. (laughs) Of course, I'm referring, guys, to the incident. I don't know if you caught this, where Anthony uh, Anthony Davis accosted (laughs) Dwight Howard during a timeout. A uh, shoving match ensued, and while they said they worked it out, nothing to see here. It wasn't initially clear what caused the confrontation. But look, Davis, if you aren't happy with your centers, just play the damn <laughs> position yourself. Yeah. Come on, I understand. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so, I mean, is has it come out what they were what what they got into it about? I, I have no idea. I just assume that that was it, or like Dwight Howard said something like. Uh, Hey, you know, I'm the power forward here, and, you know, Davis overheard it, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, I just thought of two things, right? Dwight Howard's infamous for his, his love of candy. If you remember, I think there's a story when he re-signed his extension with the Magic. He specifically commented on the candy that had been on the plane, the private jet that he rode on when he signed his extension. So at first I thought maybe they were arguing about Skittles. And then second was was obviously in the news the last week has been ES, the the NBA top seventy five, and and one of the biggest Dwight Howard considered to be oh so he's been most, on edge and one of the most common sort of did he deserve it players was Anthony <laughs> oh Davis, so he, I like oh, it no I'm seventy seven <laughs> no I'm seventy five <laughs> and you know they give everyone a chocolate bowl uh, who's in the top seventy five so he didn't get his candy he didn't oh man. Oh wait, is he a sweet or a chocolate guy? It's usually one or the other. I, I don't. I'm not sure he discriminates. I mean, he's a lot of parts of his life. <laughs> I mean, part of this is just bringing back Dwight Howard to your team. This is what goes along with it. He annoys the other team. Yes. He annoys his own team. It's just. It was just funny last year. There was all this. Oh, we missed Dwight. We we we're stuck with Gasol and Harrell, and we we don't have the center we don't have mcgee and howard that's who we're missing that's the difference this year Yin <laughs> it's and like watch what you wish for man <laughs> dwight is bad <laughs> but i like the center theory and i also like the 75 theory these are great theories this is what this is what i'm here <laughs> for guys this that's excellent work how, excellent detective work how about carmella though having a nice game last game going crazy 28 points yeah passing passing moses i mean yeah 
I mean, the fact that he came back from the dead, where like no one wanted him after he yeah. burned out with the Rockets, and he just was gone for like a year, and then he just he just kind of had to do that to accept his role as like a bench scorer, and now he's just like, I mean. He, yeah, Carmelo, Carmelo's probably like, you know, I would have broke this record like a year and a half ago if I wasn't ostracized from the league, by the way. I know. He's just okay being a seventh man. I mean, it's it, he always was a great shooter. I mean, he, he was great. Yeah. I mean, one of the greatest pull-up shooters of the generation. So, I mean, in some ways, the league going the way it has where that sort of shooting is even more important and that he seems to have been able to expand his three game over time to sort of match that. I mean, he gets going, man. I mean, he did that with Portland last two years. I mean, it made sense. They moved on from him because of his, you know, lack of defense and some of the issues, but at the same time, like if he can play that like 20 minute microwave roll off the bench, 15, he's putting up scoring and you could hide him on defense. I mean, that was impressive. They got to put 28 up to pass yeah. Moses. That's legit. No, one of the great smalling small forwards in the likes of uh, Alex Ingu- English, Adrian Dantley. Oh, Alex English also a sore yes. spot did not yes. get uh, also included in the top seventy-five. So we're airing some grievances <laughs> for some guys here. Okay, back to let's go to the Nets. Well, uh, first, players let's and stuff. Go to our, the, the biggest yeah. omission: the pride of Montclair, Oakland, California. The original burrito boy, Clay Thompson, man. Come on. Oh, yeah. Clay, number 77, jersey number 77. I guess three three championships. Three championships doesn't really do it anymore. I guess, you know. Um, Apparently not. I don't know, man. I feel like he's right. I mean, it's always hard to, you know, do the cutoff, but um, there's definitely some guys who are like, oh, man, that's. I mean, he could have been in the 70s, right? Either way, but it's like to play both ways like he did and you know help how to help them win those titles it's just funny the way they've responded though and how he's embraced it so <laughs> yeah yeah no i agree though that's a bad miss there okay to the nets uh players and staff are ready to send their pro vaccine material to kyrie irving <laughs> as the supporting cast has not been carrying their weight and harden seems to be having trouble uh, adjusting to the new rule change, as he was previously used to getting a foul called him for him every play. Uh, <laughs> D, D, I, I'm a little disappointed. I thought for sure you were going to make a pun about James Harden's had a hard time carrying his own weight. Uh, that, <laughs> that was, was last year's joke, sure. but I guess it's carried over, hasn't it? <laughs> so, uh, well, Nash said that he was the the poster boy for the new rule change that he was being singled out. I mean, I guess you got to go to bat for your guys maybe make excuses but uh he's a little little off his game so far when you single-handedly ruin the flow of an entire nba season i mean i i think you probably do need to pay your penance at some point right (laughs) i agree with that uh to the other team in the east that has had its share of off-court drama the 76ers (laughs) the uh just got to mention this the sideshow that is the ben simmons drama heated up last week when Rivers kicked Simmons out of practice, and he was subsequently suspended for conduct detrimental to the team. Following all this, Daryl Morey gave an interview and made a statement that the Simmons situation could last as long as four years. Uh, (laughs) Buckle up. Morey prefaced this by saying that he was not kidding, uh, even though everyone laughed at the comments. (laughs) 
but yes, he said, buckle up. Uh, I, I don't imagine Maury would be uh, much of a poker player because that, that was a terrible bluff. <laughs> I mean, one of the worst I've ever seen. It's like okay, if you if that's where you're going, Daryl, I, I don't I don't think you're gonna make it those four years. But uh, desperate times, desperate ish. measures, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's one thing to say, you know, it's gonna go through the whole year, but uh, the hyperbole there, you're a little overshooting on that one. Yeah, instead instead of McCollum in three first round picks, it's just McCollum, and he has to send three first round picks. Yeah, stand your ground, just stand your call. ground. You know, that's what you're good at, Daryl. <laughs> That's what you're good at. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, guys, uh, our new rookie class looks very sharp. We'll get into that a little bit more. Uh, Blazers look bad in game one, good in game two, very bad in game three. So we got a mixed bag there. <laughs> uh, and Ryan, I think, was right that the Hornets are going to win the NBA championship. <laughs> and it looks like Miles Bridges will win MVP <laughs> okay. is where we're heading so far. Oh, I wish I actually had them in number number two. Uh, <laughs> if only you would have said, Ryan, I'm not kidding when you talked about how high I know. I tried to hold it as long as I could, but I'm I'm no Norm MacDonald. I can't uh, <laughs> RIP. I, I was curious your guys' thoughts on Simmons, though. Just the piece where he, um, he did come out and say he was not mentally prepared to play. And... I guess D, especially interested to hear your thoughts as from a, a counseling perspective, because you know we're seeing more athletes talk about their mental health, which I think is amazing, and I think generally people are very like supportive of it on a general level. But then sometimes in the specifics of the situation, it does get a little tricky, and um, you know, we saw it, you know, with. Asaka and tennis, you know, with her, you know, wanting to have time away from media and seemingly being very distressed by things that kind of tennis pros have always had to do. But for her personally, what she was going through is very difficult. Uh, we saw it in the Olympics. Again, I think it's really great people are speaking out about it. But then I do wonder, like, situations like this, where on one hand, um, you say, if anyone has some mental health things to work through that's an NBA player, I mean, for the outside looking in, Ben Simmons might be the top of the list in terms of, like, what he went through last year and just kind of that was a traumatic experience and sort of some of the stuff he's gone through. Um, on the other hand, we know he's trying to get out of town and so um, sort of using, potentially using this as a way to, you know, spend the next four years of his life, I guess, according to Daryl Morey. So that's a long intro just to see D and Michael. What are your thoughts on that? Um, just mental health, how it's used, and what, what role it has to play in the NBA today. Yeah, I mean, overall, any progress we are making toward removing the stigma uh, and and people being willing to to be vulnerable and, and talk about their mental health issues, and it's an incredible amount of pressure um i mean it's any human being has a whole set of different stressors and pressures um people in the limelight you can say oh they're they're wealthy and famous they seem to have uh, everything but uh, they still struggle with the same issues of uh performing well and under pressure and just dealing with all the all the hoopla around that i mean it's it's a 
I think it's a pretty crazy environment, um, which trying to use the word crazy in the mental health field, but you can describe <laughs> the environment as crazy because sometimes that is the case. The environment If is there's crazy. any environment so, that's been crazy in the NBA, it's been the Philadelphia 76ers during yes, Ben Simmons' that, it, tenure there. Yes. <laughs> Yes, the whole there there needs to be group family counseling. They all everyone needs to go together. Rivers, Trump, Maury, um, and Bede even the agents. Seven, Bring but, Colangelo think, back. Get Markel Fultz. Get everybody. Where's Hinky? Where's Jerry doing? Colangelo? <laughs> that is hilarious. Well, I think what, but what you're getting at, what you got it to, is that um, the there's some suspicion as far as Simmons motives here because it sounds like there's a clause in his contract that makes space for a mental health issue. They can't find him and would prevent him from being fined and and all of that. Um, But I mean, if you watched him in the playoffs, you were speculating from afar that something was amiss. I mean, I think the big moment was when he had a wide open dunk and he passed it up and he looked very shaky from the free throw line. So I feel like we should have all have sympathy for that. Maybe the fact that he's playing the card now um, raises uh, some skepticism. So um, it's it's hard to say exactly what's going on, but it seems like maybe ideally, and if someone's struggling with mental health, they don't always make the best decisions too, right? Um, if, if they're not really dealing with the stuff head on. So ideally, right after the season, he would, you know, uh, make steps toward getting the help that he needs. Maybe he did that, and it's an ongoing thing. I don't know. Right. So it's it's hard to say, but I think it's a good question to try to balance that versus like, uh, what are who's doing what to manipulate <laughs> the situation? <laughs> well, in any anyone in any other part of life, there's not a professional athlete under contract would have a really bad experience you know, working or living in a certain place or doing a certain job. And they'd be like, I don't want to work there anymore. That was a really bad experience. I want to move on with my life and start fresh. (laughs) But like Ben Simmons can't do that. And that's, you know, he gets paid tons of money to do that. That's he, he agreed to it. Well, he can, he can forego $107 million. (laughs) He can't go do what he, what he like, does if, if I live in New York City and I make half a million bucks a year and I really don't like my workplace, I I can leave. I just forego a bunch of money. But even the good mental health health counselor would say, no, don't give up a hundred million. That's not <laughs> <laughs> I, I I guess it's great hearing your 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 uh, input, D, and just from your experience because it's it's a tricky area. Because again, I'm hundred percent with you. I think it's so important that the anything athletes can do to remove the stigma of, you know, mental health and mental illness and issues people are facing is incredible. Um, at the same time, I, I, I mean, like one area, is tr- one player is tricky for me is Kevin Love, who gave, like, I think did incredible work a few years ago, really driving and taking a huge risk to admit the issues that he's gone through. Um, and that he was seeking help and needed help, um, and you know, that that took a lot of guts to do because it's definitely much more open now than it was four or five years ago. Whenever he started opening up about his experience, 
But then you do see some of the things he's done as part of his te- on his team and the way he has like, you know, he acts out and treats people and you're like, okay, maybe he still, he has a lot of, he has some more work to do. I hope he's continuing down the path. I don't know. It's like, no one should be perfect, but at the same time, it's just like, I think sometimes athletes are trying to, they're trying to be spokespeople and they're trying to be leaders in an incredibly difficult area. Um, and it's just hard to do that. And it's hard um, to kind of held, be held to that standard. And they're just like people. Like you're saying, like everyone has these struggles. It's just, you know, everyone's trying to do their work and figure it out. But sometimes when I see Kevin Love and I see him being a leader at the same time, the way he acted with the Olympics team, which seemed like it wasn't very productive, and the way he's like throwing the ball at people and yelling and screaming at people. I mean, he punched an inbound pass to yeah. the defender. Yeah, three yeah, it's just like. Run. I mean, it's not exactly great. Yeah, it's just like. There can be regressions. Yeah, ups and downs. It's definitely a journey. It's def- we're all on a journey, and I just, you know, I think it's great that he did that. But it's just maybe it's part. Maybe his therapist, his therapist, saying, "Okay, you know, for a while you've been repressing. We need, we need to do another extreme, the opposite of repressing, repressing. You express everything, go to extreme, and then, uh, but at some point we'll realize uh, uh, that's actually not good either. That's revealing uh, a lot of unresolved." It's say, a tricky balance. <laughs> well, I think I'm a little. Maybe I, with Kevin Love's a little special case for me because D, you and I did scout him when he was, I think, a freshman in high school. Yes. Uh, we were scouting the Jesuit 14. Crusaders, and he played against them. And he was like, I mean, he's like the greatest player in Oregon history, except for maybe Danny Ainge. But uh, we watched, we watched him. And he, Fred, Fred he definitely acts now the way with the Cavs the way he acted then. So it's definitely come full yes, circle. No. <laughs> Brian Petermeyer, uh, who is the told this story? I hope he's listening. Who is the guy? Uh, was it uh, played center for the Apollos and went to Cal? Sam Rayburn. Sam Rayburn. Rayburn. When I think Rayburn was, I want to say a junior or a senior, and Love was a freshman. And I don't know if it was a holiday term or something, but Sunset played let go and after the game and and uh rayburn couldn't play that game uh because of an injury and love went up to him and said you're lucky you didn't play tonight <laughs> freshman said that two guys getting a ride to cal i mean that's what it takes to be great but <laughs> definitely you gotta believe in yourself you, you, you yeah. bump the ball to the other team and you're mad at Colin Sexton. So it's all a journey. We're on the journey. Kevin Love and the rest of us. But I don't know. It's just it's well, I, very I difficult think, stuff. It is it difficult is. stuff, and I think I, I I do think at large the 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 destigmatization of this of of mental health is really valuable and important. I just think I'm not. I don't want to weigh in at all on Ben Simmons' motives. But I just think. In some ways, I wonder if this process does in, end up backfiring around the stigmatization because it looks almost like more of a co-modification of mental health, right? I mean, there's clearly an incentive and a motive here for Ben Simmons to take advantage of his contractual obligations, right, and, and, and a loophole in his contract to rely on this. Again, I'm not implying he is. I mean, I think, D, your point stands. Like, if any player in the NBA needs mental health help, I mean, the guy passing up a wide-open dunk in the last three minutes of a playoff game is probably kind of top of the list. But I do think in in some ways what 
you know, there, there's been a lot of discussion around some of these hold-ins or these trade demands and, and all of this player empowerment as we approach the new collective bargaining agreement, which is upcoming here in the next year or two. And, and a lot of the discussion has centered around how owners take back more control in these situations. How do they increase the fines? How do they make them mandatory? How do they levy all these certain things to reduce the loopholes and the power that players can exert over an individual team? And frankly, the mental health piece, I, I, don't, I want that to always be an option for players, right? We want players to pursue getting healthy, you know, physically and mentally. And my concern is if, if this looks like what it looks like, what, what does the league do to, to shorten up, to shore up some of those weaknesses? And, and I don't know what, if they would go that far, but it just, it gives me kind of pause given that, that the way Maverick Carter and, you know, the, you know, or excuse me, um, Rich Paul, you know, his agent, Rich Paul and Ben Simmons have handled this process. You know, it's one thing if he would have came out after the playoffs and said, I can't be in Philadelphia anymore. I'm having panic attacks. I'm having anxiety, whatever. And I need to work on myself instead of my jumper. Everyone would have been like, totally makes sense, man. Go do your thing. And if you're gone for a while, you're gone for a while. But instead, he kind of did the superstar thing when he didn't have the leverage. And now he's in this position where this is obviously the last straw to pull. Maybe not the maybe the not the fir- Philly fans. I don't know if the Philly fans would have been fully Fair. supportive. Um, so let me get that right, though, Michael. You, you you are not judging Simmons's motives, but you're highly suspicious of them. Uh, you're not implying you're not implying anything. You're just explicitly stating it. <laughs> but you know, any good therapist would would say we can do both. We. An hour of therapy, an hour of working at the free throw line, and your jumper. I mean, we need both hand in hand. That would be great. That would be a great web series, dude. You could play the the therapist, the NBA players, who's always, like, pushing them back to competing. <laughs> like, get back out there, Kyrie. You can do it. We can, we can meet every yes. week. I mean, I think Kyrie is probably, like, we, we talked about it, you know, recently when the Nets decided to cut bait with him and not work with him as he – you know, refuses to be vaccinated, at least for now. And that part of it was because of sort of how he handled things last year. And I do think, um, and with him just t- taking time off and just kind of coming and going, and it is, um, it's hard. Cause I, I do think with some of these um, decisions people are making and how they're operating, even some of the other athletes, I just, I get worried that there is like a backlash coming where it's like, well, I don't want to do this thing, and so I'm going to – it again, whatever the actual is going on inside the person, it's just I think the more times it becomes like here's my reasoning to not do something I don't want to do, and then you can't really judge or criticize this because this is how I feel. It's like I do think like there's some reaction to that coming in the culture of just – like, hey, this is important that you have this and have that time. Um, but at the same time, you have certain, you know, obligations and responsibilities that you've agreed to. Um, so it's it's really hard. I mean, I think overall, like Michael's saying, we do ever we want their best. You know, it was like so cool in the bubble when Paul George talked about being down and discouraged and depressed. Like, it's it's really important that guys are like open and talking about it and even taking steps that they want to take. But I think. I think the issue is they're not willing really to take sort of the consequences that go with that. And I think that's 
when you're trying to have it sort of both ways. Like I was reading, there was an article last week about the old coach at Oregon State. He had been at Oregon State and he had been at Wisconsin Anderson, uh, Gary, Gary Anderson, Anderson, and how oh, yeah. Utah State. It's a name yeah, the past. but it was all about. Wisconsin. Yeah, he he like went to Utah State and Wisconsin, Oregon State, and then he actually went back to Utah State. And like every job he's like resigned from, I mean, usually because they're like in some cases they're not having success, um, but he leaves and he just kind of goes to the next thing. But like a couple of situations, he could have waited to be fired, like from Oregon State, he could have waited to be fired and gotten like 10 million bucks or something on his contract that was left. But he just quit and resigned, and so he didn't. Ha- they didn't have to pay him any money, and he just went on to the next thing. And it's like this weird, like he has this kind of coach sort of mentality. And I'm not saying like Ben Simmons should give up any of the money, but it is just like a little bit like they're we're trying to have it both ways, and and trying to have sort of the cake and eat it too. And I think, and, and part of it too is like I, th- I think when you're going through mental health issues. And I, you know, I think this is true of everyone. It's it sort of, it can become very self-focused and self, you know, someone that's on their mental health journey can kind of be some of the most self-absorbed time of your life. And hopefully it brings <laughs> you back into balance and, you know, kind right. of love your neighbor as yourself sort of thing. But it's like, it definitely, you're in a, in a season of like introspection and caring for yourself. And, and the one that a lot, so like a, a lot of these guys, I think that's happened with, I think it's Naomi Osaka, like they come up at a young age playing these sports at a level that they didn't necessarily make the choice to be that way. They were either just really, Mm -hmm. really good at it or someone like pushed them or put them in that position. And they're kind of like, they did it when they were very young. And so now they're like in their twenties and they're kind of like going through the who am I phase. um, And they're doing that in front of everyone, (laughs) you know? And it's like, like someone was, I haven't read, like all the background, but like I was talking to someone who said Naomi Osaka wasn't necessarily even like a top junior player. Like she was good, but she wasn't like off the charts. So it was almost like this was never something like she just became really, really good at tennis. And she kind of had to have these responsibilities that go along with being like the top player in the world. And she was like, I mean, some of it's good. I think like you make a lot of money, you get to do fashion, do all this crazy cool stuff. But like, she never was like wanted to be sitting in a room with people asking her questions. You know, it's just so I, I say all this is incredibly complicated scenario, and I do worry there's sort of a backlash coming. But I also think part of this is just young, like everyone went through in our culture goes through their twenties and kind of has to figure out their stuff, and they're just doing it in front of everyone when we all care and talk about them and you know want them to do certain things. So it's it's totally complicated. But all right, and if they've been. Uh forced at a young age to do something and then the what gets impeded is their emotional development or you know social development that there's this whole like world that they're dealing with so they're also not kind of equipped it feels like to really because they're still in the spotlight right so they don't have the space to kind of kind of sort through what they need to sort through and you see why some people have to take a break like uh, Matthew Wolf the golfer um, who was also been pretty upfront. I mean, he just had to, to really get away. Like you do have to try to remove yourself from the environment, but that's also, then you can lose your, you can lose your card and it's a, yeah, it's, it's a tough balance, but I think you described well what the, the struggle is and it's, we can always go one extreme to the other and then overcompensate and trying to 
Yeah, trying to juggle those worlds can be tough. Well, we didn't plan for that, uh, <laughs> but I, I like was Counselor's Corner with with Derek Lovegrad right there. <laughs> I think do, you have, you, do you have too, your disclaimer, D? Do you, you have the disclaimer ready? This is uh, <laughs> this is not. Oh yes, I'm not in any armchair professional advice. Yes, yes, I have no ability to diagnose people from afar outside the state of Oregon. Will, this is I can not, lose my license. Be a telehealth, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, do I owe you anything for the session, Doctor Lovegrad? <laughs> Just keep it on the mail. <laughs> Uh, well, on to uh, to other topics. Uh, I think you know, we we did our predictions uh, for the Cardi Cup uh, for the Eastern and Western Conference, and uh, you know today's pod we're going to finish the predictions. Um, so today is our finals matchup and NBA champion predictions, along with MVP, um, Rookie of the Year, Coach of the Year. And our personal favorite, which may speak to our mental health issues, first coach of the year fired. (laughs) (laughs) And we need to preface this by just noting that we are on the honor system. Of course, we are now a week into the season. And so we made these predictions a week ago, which you will probably be able to tell. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You'll know I'm on the honor system. When we get to the regrets portion. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So... uh, Let's start, uh, since we started with the East um, in our predictions, let's go around and go with our Eastern Conference uh, champion prediction. D-Love, we'll start with you. The uh, Charlotte Hornets. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Not the Chicago Bulls? (laughs) Not the Bulls. Yeah, I was was weighing. I I, I flipped a quarter between those two teams. Uh, No, but I did go with... uh, what at the time was considered the obvious choice, uh, which is Brooklyn, although some would have would say Milwaukee has the ability to repeat. But uh, I, I do have Milwaukee. the Nets coming out of the East. The Nets. Yeah, it's all. I I had the Nets as well. It's all a conspiracy, Derek. Uh, Steve Nash is right. They're making James Harden. <laughs> he is the focus of a conspiracy from the highest levels. This goes to the highest levels. I'm not talking about Adam Silver. I'm talking about Joe Biden. I'm talking about Nancy Pelosi. They're all having to get hardened. That's the problem. That's the only problem with the Nets. They'd be good otherwise. But it's not a partisan. The conspiracy is both sides of the political aisle, right? That's Democrats true. and Trump's Republicans. Trump's involved too, man. It's bad. It's, yes. It's, it's really making sure. It goes deep. It goes very deep. I didn't want to make it seem that you were partisan in this uh Yeah, no. <laughs> it's everybody. It's, I'm equal opportunity. Just tell me. Kevin McCarthy, Senator McConnell, and when I saw Supreme Court, when I saw when I when 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 I saw Giannis hitting pull-up threes in transition in the preseason, I just figured that coupled with just being more relaxed. I mean, watching them in the playoffs when they were bad, the Bucks were just such a tight team. They seemed like they were so uncomfortable. I just felt like the Bucks had it building to the right direction, and simultaneously at the advent of the season, you have the Nets just looking like they're a tire fire. I mean, right, all the stuff with Kyrie, kind of figuring out what the backcourt rotation is going to look like. I mean, what what gave you confidence in picking the Nets versus the Bucks? Because obviously, I think those are again we talked about the tier. I mean, those are kind of the two options, and I will tell you, I feel so good about picking the Bucks, and. Uh, 
mean, outside of their B team losing to the Heat, I think in the second game of the season, they've looked phenomenal so far. Um, so what what led you guys to the Nets over over the uh, Bucks? Well, I I still couldn't get over that uh, second round matchup last year where Durant single handedly almost beat the team. Uh, they didn't have Harden, they didn't have Irving, and uh, now I and I watched them on open at night, and I was like, how did these guys <laughs> ever take that team to seven games? <laughs> I mean, Blake Griffin trying to. Uh, make a contribution as a starter did uh, did not look so good um and uh, no one else was bringing much to the table and if harden is uh stays in this form then yeah i i will probably deeply regret this but i mean i'm like if they came that close in milwaukee was just they were a weird team i mean they were up and down and they obviously hit their stride at the right time but um I wasn't sold on them as being a, a perennial contender in the East, uh, but I uh, might, might be wrong on that. Yeah, for me, it just came down to the fact that the Nets have two of the ten greatest offensive players of all time, both still in their prime, <laughs> so I figured they'd be able to score, so score some points. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I was always skeptical of the, of the um, sort of acquisitions they did because there was a reason those guys were all available at the minimum. It's because there's, they, they're not like – they're not the ideal guys to have in today's game. You know, I mean, they have Millsap, Griffin, Aldridge. Like, they're all kind of power forward types that kind of can't really guard on the perimeter. So it's, it's, that's not really like. Or protect Yeah, them. that's not really what they, like, it looks good. And I think it's something that could help them over the course of the regular season. But they don't have sort of the multi-positional guys outside of Durant. And that makes it hard. And, um. I think they will sort of find their footing. I think Harden will adapt to like the new calls. I, I don't think this is, you know, the way it's going to be. But I, I, yeah, I was with D. It was it was so close last year, and just the idea of Harden and Durant being healthy and playing together, playing off each other, um, it's very appealing. And I, yeah, I just, you know, we'll you know we'll we'll go down our list of um, other selections, and I definitely have a lot of respect for the Bucks and how good they are i mean i picked them number one in the eastern conference it's just when it came to the playoffs it just seemed like it still seems like to me that the nets if they can get it right are going to be a tough out even without Kyrie. so i mean is there other is there anyone else in the east where you start to look at the the first week of the season where we feel like they're in that in that upper echelon that tier that feels like they could be competitive in the conference because i certainly have one i'm curious if, we, if you if you guys have anybody who who jumped in there for you you have the wizards huh <laughs> they are to, so uh, to good <laughs> oh did they win tonight too no they lost yeah oh, sorry the run's over <laughs> yeah i would i you know I, i'm definitely not in the i'm not on the philly without ben simmons bandwagon like, i don't i still just don't see that even though they've had some success early. Um, I think the team that stood out to me that we definitely had in that top group, but like so far is like, wow, they could be in the regular season. I think what we all thought they could be in the postseason is the heat. I mean, they definitely like, I mean, I know they beat the, the Milwaukee B team as Michael noted, but they definitely had that look and that kind of eye of the tiger um, heroes had a big game, like has, has been, has been scoring and playing well. So it's just, I think that team definitely, I think, could make some noise in sort of the top of the East if they can kind of maintain 
even with their lack of depth. But yeah, Michael, who who are you thinking? The Hawks' demolition of the Mavs in the first game of the year was I just you you forget I think in last year's playoffs. I mean, Okongwu gets hurt, Hunter is hurt, and they still had and Reddish has just come back from an injury, and they still had pretty remarkable depth. And now they're re-entering some of those guys. I mean, Hunter again was one of their best players before he got hurt last year, and so you watch this all the different schemes and defensive formats and offensive attacking. I mean, this the things they can throw at you as an entire unit, it just, you know, you kind of wonder, are they here, right? I mean, it seems like anytime you think about Travis Schlenk creating that roster, you expected them to arrive in a couple years, right? And now, obviously, they seem like they came onto the stage a little early last year, but you kind of wonder if it's if it's sort of gelling, sort of like that those early years Thunder teams, right? Where it's just like before you knew it, they were in the finals, and you're like, wow, how did they get here? Obviously, you know, they got – I mean, it was a – on series with the heat in 2012 but it was just it, it felt like it was early and then all of a sudden it was done because they traded harden but I well though and, the and they traded like, jeff green for perkins and that put, that put the end that put it into it right there man <laughs> the, the injuries the injuries were the biggest thing but besides the Harden yeah. trade but well and i just so just the hawks to me i just wonder you know the big question to me from because i feel like their supporting cast is quite a bit going to be even better than I anticipated. I just wonder, is Trey Young, does he have enough to move into that upper that top 12 range, which I think every kind of title team kind of needs, you know, outside of an outlier here or there, you know, like the Pistons in 04. And so they're, they're, they're ones that stands out to me just because, again, how much they can throw at you, how young they are, how deep they are, and 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 the fact that they still have a player like Trey Young who potentially can ascend into that that stratosphere. Wait, was this before or after the Hawks lost to the Cavaliers? <laughs> uh, you know, take it in stride. I mean, you know, I just again, I just think anytime you can throw a rotation at someone like Doncic that they did, I just I I couldn't I couldn't help but pause and kind of go, man, DeAndre Hunter is going to be a problem in the playoffs. I mean, it just for whoever, you know, whatever series draws him again, if he can stay healthy, you know, having those types of defenders coupled with a guy like Capella on the back line and a scorer like, like Trey, I just, it's, it, they've got a lot of looks and I, I tend to think having that type of flexibility, it's sort of like the anti jazz, right? The jazz can only fight one way. And if they, you know, if they can't, if they can't, be flexible then they're going to get run off the court like we've seen time and time again now you wonder if they're you know the hawks i feel like have a lot of looks they can they can throw a lot of different stuff at you and it's not going to be that way forever i mean they they can't pay everyone both from by choice and by rule so it'll be interesting to see if they make a push this year and or even next uh and and what that roster kind of continues to look like and which guys really step up you guys are going to deeply regret mocking the Cavaliers. Uh, you see what they got going on there? I mean, they beat the Nuggets tonight. They got the Twin Tower thing with Jared Allen and, and Evan Mobley. Mobley. I mean, Mobley's uh, nice. Rubio? <laughs> Rubio. Did you see that he and uh, – what's the Argentine backup point guard for the Nuggets? Like uh, Capazzo? <laughs> Capazzo. Capazzo and Rubio got in a fight. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? It's like – 
It was like a little bit like a soccer. I mean, it was a little stereotypical, man. It was like a little bit of a soccer. Side yeah, tackle. Like a, he basically, Capazzo basically did on a three in the corner, took his legs out. Wow. So it was, uh, it was pretty ugly. I, the, the one thing with the Hawks that, you know, I was thinking about this week is, you know, their owner this summer, you know, made a comment about, you know, that they're not going to necessarily be able to keep everyone together. Um, and like they'll go into the tax for a great team, but not, you know, they're, they're concerned with the tax, which is, that's what it's set up to do. And it, you know, has, I guess has some positives, but it also like kind of keeps us from having like five or eight really good teams at a time. Um, but obviously to your point, Michael Travistek has made some incredible choices. Some of them have been really criticized with the, the Trey Young Donchus trade, but he's doing amazing. I do question, though, curious at your thoughts, why they extended Capella for two more years. Like, would you rather, like, they already had him, I think, for this year and next, and they went two years past that, and they have, is it a Kongu? Like, that guy was amazing. Like, like, I know he got hurt, so maybe that plays a role in it. Maybe it's a more serious injury um, where they're concerned about him. But I, I feel like I would have saved that powder for the wings and see which of the wings needs a big contract and let Capella go in a couple of years and have a Congo take over for him. I mean, I know Capella's better for sure, but Congo, like, he he could play that role. He could definitely play the lob man defender. Like he looked nice in the playoffs and those flashes he had. So I don't know. Just curious to get your thoughts on that. I was just surprised that like on the one hand you're saying we can't go into the tax unless we're a great team and we can't keep the core together. On the other hand, we're going to give just sort of unprompted a two year extension, like two years out from the expiration of the current deal. So just that didn't really make sense to me. Yeah, I don't either. I think that's what's so fascinating is that Schlenk, time and time again, I think has made some of these choices. Right. He, he gets the benefit of the doubt. He gets sense. the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> yeah, he does. I mean, right, it's not, you know, he's not David Griffin, right? He's not like get, trading for Steven Adams, extending him, and then trading him the next season for Jonas Valanciunas, and then extending yeah, him. Yeah, he's got like, a plan. I mean, yeah. I think, but it does, it does feel odd, especially when you have guys like Hunter and Reddish who at this point in the way that the chips are stacking, you know, I think one of those two guys is not going to be long for Atlanta, unfortunately. I mean, I think that's the that's the challenge. And and both of them have showed pretty interesting capabilities or skill sets uh, in there. And again, there's somewhat limited you know time on the court. I mean, it's you know, they got bogey for another year. Gallinari, I think, for a year plus an option. Um, and so that's sort of the older guard. And then, you know, they, they extended Herter and they obviously gave the max to Trey and gave a sort of a mini max to, to Collins. So it's, it, there's only so much money to go around. And I think that's where you kind of wonder, I mean, if, if both Hunter and Reddish pop off, you just, you wish you could keep both of them. And if, and if that type of extension limits your flexibility there, especially in the modern NBA, having a couple guys in the like six, eight to six ten range that are wings that can defend and shoot it i mean it's what else are you going to go do so again i think schlank gets the benefit of the doubt but i I am befuddled as much as you are yeah and i I think in some ways the injuries they had last year may help in terms of you you never want to see someone get injured but if from the team perspective it may make it easier to sign them at like a lower number sort of a step thing obviously they're not to that level of player but still like it's like 
you know, get that get that first renewal contract, set yourself up, and then, you know, go back, like to maybe do a shorter deal, and then go back and try and get a bigger one the next time around once you've been healthy for a few years in a row. It just yeah, it'd just be a bummer because it'd be pretty fun to see them. Um, yeah, with they have Herder, they have Young, they have Collins, they have Capella, but it'd be really fun, especially if they, um, you know, if 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 those wings keep improving and stay healthy, it'd be fun to see them keep them too, because then it's just like yeah, to your point, and then a Congo if he comes back. Sorry, a little technical difficulty there. Um, if he comes back, then you know they're just a really nice nice group there. So I hear you. I hear you on the Hawks. And uh, sorry for the Cavs slander, D-Love. Good call. <laughs> Kevin loves honor. <laughs> yeah, give, give Kevin love some, some love. Um, yeah. All right, so we've done the East. Who do you guys have as your Western Conference champion? Ooh, this is fun. <laughs> I have the Phoenix Suns. How are you I feeling think about that one, my friend? They are going to repeat. Um, I wish they would have uh, signed uh, Aiden to the max contract because uh, it's only a few games in, and I picked him in the third round of my fantasy team, but I'm a little worried that uh, he's a little bit of an unhappy camper right now. Um, the Blazer game, I'm just going to kind of write that off. It was back-to-back night the, the uh, games. They beat the Lakers the night before. Looked pretty good. Um I'm not worried about any slow start. Uh, they won't stay under uh, 500 for very long. So um, I should feel I feel fine because I don't feel there's another team that really jumps out at me at the West in the Western Conference. Uh, I'm not I'm selling on on the Lakers. I think that's the team I would have through most of the summer thought that they would just uh, you know uh, be able to if they're healthy in the playoffs, they can just make a run no matter what the state of things are going into the playoffs, but, uh, um, not impressed what I see there so far. So, uh, I think the Suns can, uh, can do it. I think it's easy to be like, Oh, this was a, a shot, kind of a one shot wonder, uh, flash in the pan. That's what I was looking for, uh, last year, but, uh, but I still like their nucleus. They're big four. So go Suns. <laughs> It's when you have a roster like that, the only one who could blow it up is Robert Sarver, I think. And so between yeah. not extending eight and, and this rumored sort of bias story coming out, did you see this story over the weekend that the franchise issued statements, I think from James Jones and Robert Sarver, basically disavowing this entire report that's rumored to be coming from ESPN. Did you guys see this? Oh, uh, vaguely rings Howard, a bell. They, yeah, they, and Sarver used Howard Schultz's son as the uh, his old crony. Howard Schultz used his son to to put it out there so they could they could have something to respond to. <laughs> That's Howard Schultz's son. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my yeah. goodness! So he he was the um, yeah. It seems like the working theory is that they leaked it to him so that he could put it out there and then they could deny it. So there was something out there to deny because the story hasn't come out yet and they've been working on it for a long time. And I've heard different things even when it's going to come out because it seems like if it was like imminent and they were just doing the whole we're going to call for comment before we drop the story, they would have just gone ahead and dropped it. But it's just it's a kind of a strange I don't know D, if you've seen this yet, but it's basically like you know all the sort of awful stuff that um Sarver's done that's sort of 
I think Sterling esque in terms of his activities, um, which would not come as a surprise for any close readers of the Suns. This is not breaking news. There was a piece a few years ago about how he like had goats come in and they were like defecating in like offices, and it was just like, yeah, the GM's office. office, They were just like Sarver had goats come in, or he was doing something, and they just started like defecating everywhere (laughs) in the office. So it's not like. I mean, I think he's done much worse stuff than that, it appears, but it, I, nothing would shock me with, with Sarver. I mean, it's just like, it's pretty sketch. So, uh, so Howard Schultz has one lasting, has two lasting um, legacies as in the NBA. One is the Oklahoma City Thunder, and two is his son is breaking news for his own, his old owner cronies. So, uh, <laughs> uh, all right, Michael, who do you got? You got the sons, I can tell. Oh man, I honestly, I have the Golden State Warriors, and I was nervous about it, and I could not feel any. Oh, wow. winning a game is by winning three games by a combined total of seven points has got you ready to roll. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it sure has, and the cavalry is coming. Right, we know that to be true. He's pounding bur- Clay's pounding burritos left and right. He's in he's in key training. He's working out every day. One burrito, two burrito. One burrito, two burrito. <laughs> hey, once, uh, once Jonathan Kaminga, is it Kaminga? Yeah, gets out of the G League. <laughs> once he hits the court, it's gonna be over. <laughs> it, did, it did strike me as funny. He he played in the G League at night last year, and after like ten games, he quit. Do you think he's in the G League again? And he he's thinking about trying to quit again. <laughs> he's, in the G- he's like, I'm done with this stuff. <laughs> Kerr's like quit he- last year. Kurt's like, he's behind Wiseman, where Wiseman was a year ago and learning the, the 165 defensive rotations. This is terrible. <laughs> he's only got five of them down. He's like, Mike Brown, get out there. Get, get us some work done. <laughs> um, it is sad, though, when you see like, how LaMelo is playing right now, and you're just like – I mean, we talked about it, I think, last time. If you had them the day before the Wiseman draft and you knew what they had in terms of the Minnesota pick coming – potentially them having another kind of struggling year, maybe another late lottery pick, which ended up happening, and they had the number two pick that year. And if you ended up with Wiseman, Kaminga, and Moody, you'd be just like, is there a bigger worst-case scenario than that? Um, and then you're maybe you're, you say, well, I guess they didn't have mu- they couldn't really get something for it or they would have done the deal then, right? There wasn't a great player available. So sort of what's behind door number three, Ted? You know, it's it was – these three guys, but they could have drafted LaMelo. We talked about it all the time last year, but like, mm. could you imagine LaMelo with them right now? Because Wiseman's not even playing. He's hurt. Like, imagine LaMelo in the lineup with Steph, eventually with Clay. I mean, it's... We'd all be picking yeah, Golden State and feel would, really good about it would just that. Be Michael, all of us, because they're trying to make Jordan Poole into like a mini Curry. Like, LaMelo Bull is, is... He's not a shooter like Curry, but he's a creator. He, he like, does everything. He's incredible. Well, he's also, like, 6'7". I mean, you got... No, the, he can defend. He can, he can actually... defend and switch on guys. Now, he's not going to be, like, the clay of defense, but he still could, like... I mean, it's just so... I, and I, but, Ryan, the Warriors needed a center. Get LaMelo, play him <laughs> at center. LaMelo and play him play at center. center. Like, exactly. Our, Especially these days. Oh, man. Um, well, I, I think we all struggled with this pick. I really like the Warriors pick. I f- all right, speak for yourself. Oh, okay. You knew <laughs> all along. All right, all right. Wow. Uh, 
six points of uh, score differential. Hey, this their differential is plus seven, which is it's, it's divided twenty one points over three games is very a, respectable. Resounding win over the Sacramento Kings is really uh, put them into the stratosphere. Uh, no, I like that pick. I, I struggled at least with the top six and who to pick within it. Um, you know, really considered all the different teams. I took what would be considered the safe choice, but uh, really as a hedge against picking them sixth of those six teams is the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> oh. Someone had to. Someone had to do it. Someone had to play do the uh, Captain Obvious and pick the Nets and Lakers in the finals. Um, I, I just kind of kept coming back to they'll have a season to figure it out, and if um, – my theory, my working theory before the season started was if LeBron and AD are on playing at the top of their game, like the rest of it doesn't matter as much. But then in game one, LeBron and Anthony Davis were at the top of their game and they still lost because Westbrook is horrible now. So it's just like, oh, man. Uh, so, yeah, we'll get to regrets in a little bit. But I have them in the finals. I have the Nets winning the championship. You wait. You have the Nets winning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Dude, I too you... have the Nets winning the championship. Okay, it's an Eastern Conference sweep. I'm, I'm <clears> wow, the Bucks Warriors. repeating. Wow. <laughs> I mean, definitely looking better than any other picks going on right now. Yeah, better than the Nets, but wow. Michael seems overjoyed with his picks. Oh man, I am doing a victory lap already. A weekend. We all know nothing though. But I, I guess so. You're doing the Giannis. Like it's why I had them number oh, one. I'm just you're doubling just saying, down on Giannis. When I saw him, and when I when I heard that he told everybody in the pre in the off season to not call him champ, coupled with the fact that he was just eviscerating people with jump hooks and pull up jumpers from three in the preseason, I said this guy's on a mission. Like if we know anything about reading about you know all the think pieces on Giannis or Mirren Fader's book, or I mean all of the reporting after the championship, we know that he was going to come back with the vengeance. And so that, I mean, that was me pushing all my chips into the table with, with that type of, of response and, and and then pairing it with the fact that I think holiday Middleton and the rest of that roster largely <laughs> had the yips to varying degrees at different points in time. And, and I just assumed they would be much looser after. And they traded for so, Grayson Allen and you were like sold. Sold. Yeah, I was like the yips and so the So what I hear you say, Michael, is so if if Giannis was working out and someone came in and said, the champ is here, the champ is here, no, like he would just be like, stop, Greece. stop, stop. Let's go back and go. He was calling the him champ. He was like, is right, here, the, do it. Is here. Is that basically – I mean, that's – Giannis, uh, Giannis had a quote uh, that I read the other day where he said, if you're living in the past, that's just your ego. If you're living in the future, that's just your pride. But if you're living in the present, that's humility. There you go. That, that's that's a, a guy who's mentally prepared. Quote. It's a real is quote. A, is that Because right no, so, remember last year when we were – last season when we were talking about kind of the finals and just how like the way Giannis and Ben Simmons both dealt with – sort of overlapping situations where Giannis started, he got the yips. He couldn't make free throws consistently. Like the other team's fans were turning into like this huge thing. And he just kind of rolled right through it. 
I mean, you hear mentally tough being like an incredibly important part of like these elite athletes. If it's golfers, tennis players, basketball players, it's incredibly important. But and Giannis is an incredible athlete. Obviously, he's the best athlete in the league. But you combine that with the mental toughness that he's developed in his life. I mean, to say something like that in your twenties is just kind of like I'm like, did he really say that? Like that's incredible. No, if if I were. Um... If I worked for a team, if I was a GM and, and I knew that one of my players needed counseling, I wouldn't send him to a therapist. I would say, shadow Giannis for a <laughs> yeah, month in the summer. Yeah. And that's someone who works in the field. And is <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it earlier. It sounds like ben and, ben and Giannis need to go hang out together. I mean, and then you combine that with the fact that we now have proof that he'll never be injured ever because of what happened to him against the Hawks, and he just came right back after a couple games and dominated. I mean, yeah. Again, it's just he was he was borderline unguardable in the end of the playoffs last year, and and he wasn't particularly. I mean, I don't know, skilled. I guess is such an overplayed word, but he wasn't particularly. You know, uh, he didn't have a lot of finesse game. Let's just say. Right. I mean, if he gets some, you know, these guys are going to develop jump hooks and, and even, you know, little 15 footers, even if he doesn't learn to shoot threes at all, which, again, we, we sort of let the ship sail on. You just imagine he's going to have he's going to be able to score on anyone. I mean, whether it's the regular season or the playoffs. And if you can put enough around him, which it seems like, again, those guys are, are so well suited to him. Right. They're not a, a traditional big three, but, you know, they they can all defend. Right. They, you know, Middleton particularly can shoot it. And so I, I just, it felt so, it felt appropriate, especially given the, the uncertainty with Brooklyn and, and the fact that there was no one else in the East, at least at that point in time, that felt all that promising. You know, and obviously, Ryan, you spoke to the West well. I mean, I think that top six that we discussed, you know, last week is sort of the top six. But there's just, there's so many concerns across the board. It just, I you know. I don't. I mean, I considered all six to be really honest. I mean, there was just enough stuff with each one that I kind of went with a bit more of an old reliable. Which you know, it's probably not all that different of a process as either of you, right? You're going with the repeat in Phoenix, or you're going with like LeBron and the Lakers, right? And I'm, I'm going with Dwight Howard. Go with back. Dwight Howard. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> No, let's I, let's. I tell you what, when I looked at the Mavs and saw Jason, Kidd, <laughs> no, I know, I know, I know. Going out on night one, I go, man, this is tremendous. I'm so glad I didn't pick the Mavs. Yeah, it's like, let's do some game theory. Uh, so, Michael, I think I can guess. I feel like I can hazard a guess on your MVP choice, and I think it's the, I, I think it's can. the same as mine. D Love, who's your MVP choice? Uh, I went with Luca. Ooh, I like it. Which, because like uh, <clears throat> I'm not super high on the Mavericks, I think they're um, a little overrated. Which that's something I don't regret saying so far. <laughs> but um, but I thought that, and that was what I was worried about with Luca because I felt like his individual stats uh, can be head and shoulders above everyone else's. And I feel like with the MVP, I always feel like there's. They want to give it to somebody who hasn't. They're inclined to give it to someone who hasn't won it before, so I feel like it's a it's a it's a higher curve for the Giannis's and Harden, Durant. So um, I mean, Luke is going to get one at some point, probably multiple at some point in his career. But uh, I thought this this could be the year for him. Uh, but I'm not sure if those Mavericks will be good enough. But we'll <laughs> we'll see. Who who do you guys have? Dying to know. 
Giannis. I have Kevin Durant. What? Ah, interesting. After your Giannis, oh my gosh. After yeah, your, like, five-minute soliloquy on Giannis, I was like, I thought that oh, was I a... I love Giannis. He's the best. I really thought do. that was... Just, he's just so tremendous. I just thought... That reminds me. I remember... I thought Durant... I, we, were, we were living... I was living in uh, outside of D.C., and we had some friends in New York we were, like, talking with, and they wanted to move down to where the area where we lived, and we were like, it is amazing. We really loved living here. It is great. You should move down here. And then six months later, we moved. And then they moved out, and they really didn't like it very much. And they moved somewhere else. Oh, no. <laughs> so I feel like you're pulling out of the Giannis and Durant. You're like, oh, Giannis is the best. He's the greatest player. He's back with the vengeance. He is the greatest player of the history of the era right now. Oh, I'll pick the other guy, though. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just I, – I think, Derek, you put it well. The MVP is so much a narrative conversation, and I think – I couldn't find the narrative for Giannis, even if he is as dominant as I think he's going to be this year, that that he would – I mean, we we watched LeBron James be that dominant for a decade straight, and he only won four MVPs. I mean, Derrick Rose won an MVP in the meantime. I just it's, it's just – I think to me, what I saw the narrative was like, you know, the Nets get second in the East. Durant has a little bit like a little forgot about Dre moment where he's just, you know, you guys – did you guys forget that, that this is – this I, w- I went to play with the Warriors and then I got hurt and last year was a weird year and now I'm back right like that's what I sort of imagined this year could look like and I'm not I'm not particularly overjoyed with how it started so far but at the same time I do think you know he has that capability and and, and so to me Durant was the was the pick they would be good enough I think Doncic was another consideration but my concern with Doncic is just the Mavs. I don't know if the Mavs are going to be good enough. I mean, that was I was pretty down on the Mavs coming into the year, and so, you know, I uh, <laughs> I didn't pick Jason Kidd for first coach fired, but I very nearly did. <laughs> so, so that would have affected my down. It, it's you know, I picked Giannis, and I think and I will I will defer my time to Michael on Giannis. I uh, second all of his his uh, his statements on him. Mark Cuban, man, gets a free pass. Like, like they, um, shark tanks, a hell of a deal. <laughs> no, they, he, we learned through, you know, the Dirk book that you know, it's a reminder. Dirk was already there. Nash was already there when he showed up. Right. I mean, they, they moved pieces around and eventually they both broke through, but if anything, you know, the big German book taught us, it was all Dirk. Right. I mean, Dirk did it. He was like yeah. that great of a player that he could pull that team together and through Cuban didn't resign Nash. He went on two MVPs. Like he got rid of Nelly, put Avery Johnson in charge. Like there were a lot of bad choices, like a mix, but a, like a lot of bad choices. It wasn't like he's like this next generation of, of owner. And then, you know, you have the Dodgers pick, which he made with, you know, Donnie Nelson, which is to his credit. Like he did make that, choice and now he has like a generational player again but you see the way number one they've squandered Doncic's kind of window to add players they made the Przingis move which I really was I liked like it was a great shot they took we talked about before but they still haven't delivered they don't have like they really don't they just have a bunch of role players and they don't really have anyone that's like even like a top three guy on a championship team let alone like a top two guy and then you add on top of that, like it just got 
put under the rug. And like Mark Cuban's timing is so amazing. Like he sold his, he had a company that just basically let you listen to the radio over the internet. Um, and he sold it right before the dot-com crash. And like, again, brilliant timing. And he, all, That's why and he also had brilliant timing. Yes. Timing is a big part of it. Like do not, do not uh, dismiss that or like, you know, like he earned his money, he did it. But the timing is great because the other timing that was great was that his whole situation with his, his HR department or lack thereof with the Mavericks, when he got fined like 10 million bucks by the league for it, it happened like a year before Me Too. Like you start to think of the things that happened in the past. I was just reading, I just finished the Letterman book. Holy moly. Like you, when they go back through all the details of all the, like, you know, all of his escapades, you're like, man, if like the stuff guys got away with, like back in the day, I mean, it's just like, whoa. Well, Cuba may not be in the clear though. I mean, like, look at this stuff with the, uh, well, the, I mean, Gruden, you know, 10, yeah, 10 you years never later, know. You're right. You never know. There could but, be, there could you, be, but you add on top just for a basketball standpoint, all this drama with Bob Volgaris and him leaving and like all the stuff yeah. behind the scenes. And it's just like Cuban gets a free pass. Like he's, he, he is like the active owner. He's like the Jerry Jones, at least Jerry Jones, like takes, like he takes the hits, man. It's like, I don't know if, if Cuban is just Teflon, if it's because of the Shark Tank, because like he started out as a rebel, they won the title, but man, like other than Donchish, what has the, he done? Like what honestly, what have they what is he yeah. Well just remember, I mean, they haven't won a first they haven't ran a playoff series since the title. I think you get ten or fifteen that's years after winning years. a title of uh, a pass. Maybe. I don't know. That's 10 years. I mean, that's the thing. That's what's so wild to me. I think, Ryan, you hit it on the head. And I don't don't know why it is. I mean, Shark Tank, he's transparent, right? So he gives you the illusion that, like, he's sharing intimate details with you. And so you give him a break. You know, I mean, you know him. We know him better than any basically any other owner in the league, right? I mean, we can make fun of Jimmy Dolan because, you know, what, he plays in a band on, like, weeknights or something like that. It's, I mean, we don't know anything else about him besides the fact that his dad gave him the team and he's a tire fire. I mean. That was breaking Cuban, news to me. I didn't know that. <laughs> no, it's yeah. – it's, this is, a, like, a long, long time ago, but I was interviewing for jobs in New York, like, years and years ago, and it was at a, a law firm, and they had Dolan as a client, and it was, like, and they had MSG <laughs> and, like, Cablevision as a client, and it was, like, kind of something they, like, you know, you're recruiting there. It's, like, oh, we got the Knicks as a client, and I was, like, interested. And, yeah, I was, like, oh, you have the Knicks. Like, that seems cool. He's, like, yeah, it's cool. Um, but you may not know, but, like, Dolan has a band, and he, like, has like the best musicians in the world. Like it's basically like like the you know, it's like the E Street band when they're not playing for Bruce, they come back him up. <laughs> and he's like his band is going <laughs> like he hires the best two musicians like in the world to play for him. But he he plays these venues that like they they need people there. So his people go to all their service providers, including their law firm, and and make like the lawyers and the staff people from their service fighters go to the concert oh. so this guy this guy interviewed had to actually go to dolan's concerts as part of working on the next legal matters and stuff it was like oh man that is that is some rough stuff wow. um but yeah i just yeah awesome. I, don't know. I mean cuban just i don't i don't know it's just like he definitely skates by, and I think to your point, Michael, it's like he's kind of an everyman. He's like, if one of us was an owner, but is he really using like cutting edge analytics? Like, is he like they haven't got any draft picks that have hit except for Doncic? Like, 
it's just it, it's just kind of like what's going on and you do realize like a lot of being like a founder or ceo sort of a tech person is marketing like a lot of it is like he obviously knows how to sell and that's like probably you know again like you know you know that's what like you know the sundance kid said to butch you know you keep doing what you do butch that's what you're good at you know <laughs> so it's like that's what he's good at <laughs> sorry to mangle the line uh um, but, uh, yeah. Um, all right. Who do you guys have, um, for rookie of the year? Three more to go. I think we're going to run out of time for our regrets. We'll have more time next time for some, I have more than enough to fill, uh, the next episode already. <laughs> but, uh, D who do you have for rookie of the year? Well, I, I, our rookie class is looking great as we, as we know, uh, several players are, are standing out. Scotty Barnes, uh, Jalen Green, Suggs is a. I think Toronto made the right move on that one, but uh, yeah, like Mobley, Scott, and I'm taking the one guy who we don't know about yet because he's injury riddled. It seems like he can't play on a sp- uh, ankle that he sprained over a month ago. Dwayne Casey's trying to play it safe, um, but goodness, get him on the floor! Come on, SVG back, Cade Cunningham, get him out there. He's my guy. I picked him in the sixth round of fantasy this year too, so I need him out there. You do. I mean, do do you feel a little disappointed that Dwayne Casey's ruining his career and that Stan Van Gundy should make a comeback in Detroit? <laughs> I absolutely do. I think he should be fired and replaced by Stan immediately, and and Detroit would love it. The Pistons fans love Stan Van Gundy <laughs> forever. Oh man, I um, it is remarkably wide open. I mean, there is like five or six pretty viable candidates. It feels like for Rookie of the Year. I would say um, I still feel pretty good. I think Jalen Green as my pick is just – this feels like the one award where you're going to look back and it's like half of them actually do hit into like elite players just because it's such an opportunity-driven award, right? I mean, you really have to have minutes and counting stats oftentimes to be in the conversation as – as the rookie of the year. And it does feel like Jalen green's going to have that opportunity just because again, I think he went for 30 a couple nights ago. I mean, it just feels like that there's going to be more and more of that. I mean, he's a legit NBA scorer at this point already. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about that one too. Yeah. I think, um, the team I actually feel for, even though they've just kind of, they're six it up and, throwing wins away left and right is the thunder because they they made all these trades and moves they like they they tanked last year and they got the sixth pick now it seems like it again this is a great draft so having the sixth pick in this draft probably like having the second pick in a normal draft i mean it's incredible but like the fact that they missed on those top three or four guys despite like it's it's gonna be i mean again I think it's Josh Giddy. He looks good so far. He's doing stuff. So, again, they'll probably just be fine. Presti is great at finding value in the draft. But the fact that they did all those things, they had the trade with Houston. They had all these opportunities to get a top four pick, and they didn't get it in this draft. That really hurts because you see these guys. I mean, you know, we haven't seen your guy yet, D, but I mean, he's going to be great. And yep. to your point earlier about me criticizing the Cavs, I mean, Mobley – I mean, Mobley could be the best of all of them just because of his inability to, like, do everything as a big guy. It's like there's just not that many guys like that that can do that. And then, again, Scotty Barnes comes out, shows he can do stuff immediately. I think this is one of the things – Yeah, one of the things we forget is, like, 
It sort of reminds me of the quarterbacks in in college football is they have been preparing and prepping and like getting ready to be a college quarterback from like the time they're like 12 at like the latest. Like a lot of them have been in quarterback, you know, there's still the Aaron Rodgers. There's the guys who are like late bloomers. And those are the guys actually you want in the long run. But the guys that are going, like a lot of those guys have been playing quarterback, learning the system, learning how to read defenses at a very sophisticated level, running college type offenses in high school, like for a long time. And I think what happens is then we see these guys in college and we're like, oh, this guy's so good. Look how much better he's going to get. And it it doesn't really happen because like unless you're Aaron Rodgers or someone kind of off off the reservation who like goes outside the normal route. And that also happened like 20, that was like our generation D like that doesn't happen anymore in the same way. Cause everyone has a quarterback coach and does all these things. And we've seen it with, you know, Oklahoma, like their quarterback in the off season was considered Rattler was considered the number one pick in the draft. <laughs> and now he's got benched for Caleb Williams, who the DMVs pride of the DMV. I saw that kid play as a freshman in high school. I thought he was a senior he was like dominant against like one of the best collection of talent ever in DC, a bunch of Ohio State signees on the defensive line. He was incredible. So I'm not surprised. But again, these guys are good immediately, or they're not going to be that good. That's what worries me as a Husky fan is that Sam Heward can't beat out our really crappy quarterback. It's like, what is he going to learn in the next like six months <laughs> or a year? He's been like, he's Too had soon. a quarterback coach since he was 12. He's like, he's the son. He's a ski on of quarterbacks. His dad and his uncle. Or great quarterbacks. Like, he's not going to learn a lot more. So all I have to say, that is the, that is the situation for rookies in the NBA now. They, may, they changed the rule 17 years or 16 years ago, not allowing high school players to come into the league because they were concerned that, oh, it's AAU and all these guys come in. They're not prepared for the game. That is not an issue anymore. Like, you would still have guys try and come out and they wouldn't get drafted and it'd be this – sad story because the NCAA wouldn't let them come back and all that stuff, which hopefully some of that's changed. But, and with the NIL stuff, it's sort of like, they're probably going to be fine anyway, but it's this, these guys are prepared now. They're not just playing AAU. They have like, they have shooting coaches. They have individual coaches. You saw it with like LaMelo ball. Like everyone's like, Oh, he just played on the, you know, the Canyon team with his brothers and his dad's crazy. And like, all he does is shoot, 60 footers and something. He has like a basketball individual personal coach that was like his mentor and his coach since he was like 15. And this guy went to Australia with him. He ran through all the workouts. Like these guys know all the stuff. They go into the league. Like Jalen Green played on the G League Ignite. Like he knows all the things you have to do. Like these guys aren't coming into the league. Like and it takes them three years to figure out how to play. It's like if you can't play right away, you probably aren't gonna. It, it's just the, it, these guys are coming in prepared. That's my point. They're coming in prepared. They're coming in good. I and mean, you combine that with the athletic ability these guys have, it's amazing. I have Jalen Green as well. That dunk he had. That Ooh. dunk he had. I mean, he comes with the thunder. He comes with the rockets. I love it. I love seeing him attack the rim. He James Wise. He's Northern California. <laughs> he's he's Northern California. So it's nice to see him out there. He should have been the rookie last year. They should they should get rid of the rule, let these guys come in. Um, but the G League yeah. and the all these other leagues are benefiting from it. But it's a fun time to be a uh, NBA fan. 
Hey, no one picked uh, uh, University of Oregon shooting guard for the uh, Indiana Pacers. Peyton Pritchard? Chris, Chris Duarte. Well, right, <laughs> yeah, this is what's Duarte. so fascinating. Duarte. You know how old Duarte 36. is? He's like Devin Booker's age. I mean, I'm not. I'm like, I. I actually am not exaggerating. He's 24. Chris Duarte is 24. Good for years him, old. man. He's. He, I mean, he's. But he's looking a great example as to these guys who don't, aren't necessarily like picture perfect translated into, the league as 19 year olds, right? They're not Evan Mobley or Jalen or Jalen Suggs or Jalen Green. I mean, any of these guys. Are most of them are like this, but oddly enough, for whatever reason, Chris Duarte, right, goes to some middle of the nowhere school, transfers to Oregon. I thought you were. I thought you were. Star- I thought you were starting with the. He was at a middle of nowhere school, or he was. He, he ended there at Oregon. Shoot. I missed an opportunity. Oh man, you had it. You had it right. No, <laughs> Have you been to Eugene recently? It's just funny. I mean, he's he's the third highest odds. I mean, it's just for rookie of the year right now. I mean, he's letting he guy lacks for no confidence. I mean, that guy that guy's the epitome of 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 shooter shoot. Uh, but it is it's funny to see somebody at that age. I mean, oftentimes like twenty one year olds are sort of poo pooed in the draft. I mean, the fact that I mean it feels only only right that the Indiana Pacers of all teams drafted a twenty four year old. But I mean, he's he's legit, and it's it is a fascinating thing when you're talking about folks outside the system to see a guy like that do that. If I were to redo it, I would I would go with Scotty Barnes uh, because I'm not buying the narrative that he does not have an offensive game. Yeah, he looks he's, good. He's he may a uh, problem with ball handling and turnovers, but the guy can he can score. Yeah. He's shooting like above fifty percent. It's only yeah. three games, but <laughs> he can do it, man. He's no. He's no Tybal. Uh, I mean, they were comparing him defensively to, to Matisse Tybal, but <laughs> that's high praise for you, D, because Tybal's like your eighth-ranked player in the in the whole league. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, our, but we'll never know his greatness because Rivers will never play him enough. <laughs> that's true. All right, so let's each go around and we'll do both our coach of the year and our first coach fired, and we'll we'll uh, popcorn that around, and then we'll. Uh, Wrap it up. up. D-Love. Who's going to get the extension? Got, uh, Who's going to like have to have their kids move from their grade school? Go ahead. <laughs> well, I had a rookie coach, Ime Udoka, as coach Ooh, of the year for the Celtics wow. in his I rookie campaign. Portland. Uh, big win against the Hornets tonight in overtime. Uh, first coach fired, Luke Walton. I had to double check to make sure he wasn't fired last year. <laughs> Just <laughs> half the Cardi Cup last year were lamenting the fact that he wasn't fired. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, I have I have Steve Nash as coach of the year. Oh, I think he's a guy who would be due, assuming he navigates the uh, the Kyrie situation, and they are kind of a top two or three team in the East. That feels appropriate even though the expectations are fairly high uh and then first coach fired i i actually looked i, <laughs> I really wanted to pick scotty brooks and i realized that assistant well coach wouldn't qualify i i considered jason kidd <laughs> oh, man. and decided that, that would be a little aggressive again this is my favorite award uh so i really deep dived a number of at one point, I looked up all the coaches from their higher dates, and so I actually landed also on Luke Walton. <laughs> um, so, so that that is my. That he is he my was the only one that made sense. Like I did some research as well, and 
And so many so, so many bad that. coaches got extensions too. It's like, well, maybe Dwayne Casey, he's struggled. Oh, wait, he got a three-year extension last year. It was like, oh, maybe uh, J.B. Bickerstaff. Oh, wait, he got a two-year extension. Like It's like all of these like, crappy teams who have tanked are like, we got to do the Brett Brown treatment and give them like lifetime tenure. Um, so, yeah, I picked Luke too. I, you know, I, I think part of it was, you know, when Michael and I and some of his buddies and our buddies were in uh, Vegas together for some like, number of years ago, we ran into Luke Walton, um, sort of hanging out with some of his young Laker players at that point. And you realize he's like basically their age or seems to act like them. So <laughs> it's just like, I don't know if that's ever going to change. Uh, I, the one problem with him is they could hang around in the play-in and obviously like they actually are looking, you know, better at least than I expected to start. Um, yeah. yeah. They're one and two at the minus. Six yeah. Yeah. Angel. Doing great. Great start there. It's also just their owners really like he's really strange dude. And I don't think he wants to like spend the money. I think Walton has one more year after this on his contract. So that was the only thing that held me back, but there really isn't that many other options that, that seemed like, yeah, like where else did you go? I mean, outside of a shock. Yeah, there wasn't I mean, really, he was the one that if you go team yeah. by team. It's like, Hey, they're tanking. So they're not going to yeah. fire their coach or they, he was hired in the last 12 yeah. months. So they're not going to fire. Their yeah. Coach. There's a lot of turnover. Or they've been good. Yeah, recently. A lot of turnover and a lot of, um, I thought maybe, uh, uh, Simmons would make a deal in this whole thing and say, Hey, if you guys fire rivers, <laughs> uh, I'm in, I'm back. <laughs> A little tomato. Like no. I don't think Maury would disagree with that. <laughs> it wasn't his do choice. Think, do you think Maury was in on that? I mean, he. I mean, Rivers is sort of a, a renowned sort of players coach. You know, I think he's generally been considered sort of analytics adjacent, if not sort of more on the negative side. Do you think Maury was made that higher? No, it, he was hired before Maury. Like it. Yeah, oh, it that was. was the whole. It, but it was in the yeah, same it was, summer, it right? Was, Rivers was first, and and then you know Brand, Brand also added some more guys to his front office. Uh, he brought over an assistant GM from the Pacers, the Pacers and yeah. you know it was all going forward. Then Maury got out of got out of Houston, and they grabbed him. So I I, I do think the fact that Maury started in Boston, he came on and worked for Danny Ainge when the owners took over like twenty years ago, and Rivers was the coach then. So. They have a relationship that goes back a long way. So I think um, I, the, and relationships are so important in the NBA. And then I think that the fact that Maury has typically hired, like, you know, well-known coaches. Like, he I – mean, even when he, like, let Van Gundy go or got rid of Van Gundy, he's still – it's Adelman. I mean, McHale did have a ton of experience, but he was still a very well-known person in the NBA. Um D'Antoni, you know, he, he's always had guys like that. So I, I don't feel like he would have been like Rivers would have been his first choice, but he definitely has like not done the sort of, you know, what you see a lot in baseball where the GMs that really control their teams are hiring these sort of guys who don't have their own gravitas. They're kind of just yes men. And I think that's had some, it has some issues. I think Maury likes to have for the NBA like to have someone who commands respect, but then someone he can still work with. So I, I feel like Rivers. I don't feel like he'd be if Simmons did the ultimatum. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, Doc, <laughs> but uh, I think it it, it, it makes sense. Uh, Doc Rivers was not my coach of the year choice. My coach of the year choice um, 
you know, again, sort of dovetails with my prediction that they'll finish first in the West is Quinn Snyder. Um, he actually hasn't won. Um, like he didn't win last year. Thibodeau, Thibodeau won. Hmm. So I like that. So That's I felt pick. like if they are good again, then it could be sort of like the Steve Nash, you know, reasoning you had Michael of like, Hey, he did it again. He sort of, even with all the drama and the struggle in the playoffs, they still ran it back again in the regular season. So, um, so that's that, Masters man. There we are. Well done. All right, guys, there's no trivia yet. Uh, maybe we'll bring it back next week. The The research team, they took a vacation to the, the Virgin Peter Islands uh, after the season <laughs> ended, and we haven't seen them back yet. Gone fishing. Um, so I don't Gone know fishing. what's going on with them. I think going to say trivia was boycotting because Dennis Smith Jr. played 20 minutes tonight for the Blazers. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> Ouch! Oh, Neil O'Shea right. on the move. <laughs> Our uh, apologies to Jason Kidd. He doesn't like Michael. He wouldn't. <laughs> That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us at the Three and D Love NBA Podcast. We'll be back next time. But until then, remember: throw it down, big man. This isn't just a great podcast, it's a triumph of the human spirit.